Welcome to the second episode of the Marketing for Good podcast. Today, we will be chatting with Carolyn Lotion, our director and founder at Juntos Marketing, and Sarah Kutbelli, one of our amazing senior account managers, about an event they attended and presented at earlier this year, the International Social Marketing Conference, brought to you by the Australian Association of Social Marketing. We really like working with clients who want to meet their purpose, grow their purpose in anything where marketing can add to people's quality of life, or as we say, marketing for good. The International Social Marketing Conference is an industry-wide event hosted by AASM, the Australian Association of Social Marketing. AASM was realized in 2009 after a discussion amongst the Australian social marketing academics attending the 2009 International Nonprofit and Social Marketing Conference, now the ISMC. The association is an independent, volunteer-based organization and is the peak body representing social marketers in Australia. Their aim is to provide support for social marketers throughout the country and act as a central resource for those who are engaged in or interested in social marketing practice and research. Each year, they host the International Social Marketing Conference, a gathering of academics and professionals who present their unique and meaningful campaigns. This year, Carolyn presented her research and social marketing work with community pharmacies addressing the issue of dry mouth, a common side effect of prescribed medication that can have serious health implications. Carolyn presented alongside other social marketers from a variety of industries and backgrounds, and we have picked out some of our favorites to share with you. We hope you enjoy learning about some of the great work happening in the social marketing field as much as we did. Well, I thought it might be good to kick off and say, and just answer some people's questions around what really is social marketing. I think number one is it gets confused with social media, which is very different. So social media is our Facebook and our LinkedIn and our Twitter, but social marketing is marketing for a social cause. So it might be to improve people's health, um, to encourage behavior change around um, stopping smoking or stopping drinking, or it could be you know, some of the COVID messages around wearing a mask would fall under the um, umbrella of social marketing, um, encouraging people to use their car less and take public transport or ride their bike more, uh, environmental messages, all those things fall under the umbrella of social marketing. And we've really had it as, I suppose, as a specialty as a business for maybe five, um, six to 10 years. Um, and we've been um, attending regular conferences, Australian and international conferences for social marketing since 2016. Um, it's a really interesting um, dynamic and group because, um, or, or profession, because it attracts both academics and practitioners. So we would fit under the practitioner umbrella because we're, I suppose, for want of a better word, consultants or an agency that specializes in practical um, executions, but there's a whole school, a uh, whole range of academics that work in the space as well. And it's a really nice conference because it brings everybody together and no one's seen as more important than the other. Um, all the parts are seen as working together and it's very sort of accepting and um, sharing community. So well, that's one of the reasons why we like going to their conferences. And they're always super interesting and engaging and they're a great way of staying at the forefront of um, latest thinking. And they've particularly been a lot of 
um, developments in thinking over the last couple of years with COVID and um, also moves around um, stronger inclusion and um, diversity policies and that type of thing. Um, so we've presented over the years quite a lot at uh, social marketing conferences. Um, this one we presented um, a piece of work that we did in conjunction with uh, North Richmond Community Centre in Victoria, Deakin University and La Trobe University. So there were four partners, ourselves Juntos Marketing was the fourth partner. And that was a project around um, testing um, Try, testing the use of community pharmacists as a pathway to improve oral health promotion. Um, so I can talk about that and share some slides in a little while. Um, and previously um, at the International Social Marketing Conference that was held a few years ago in Singapore, we presented our mental health campaign. So that was um, our a campaign that was um, done for the Murrumbidgee Primary Health Network and looking um, at improving people's help seeking behavior and getting people to reach out when they were having um, mental health issues. Um, so it was great to go to this. I'm going to stop talking in a minute, by the way, <laughs> let someone else have a chat. but it was great to go to um, these um, international social marketing conference a couple of weeks ago. And it was really great that Sarah could join me as well. We would have loved to go in person and it was going to be a hybrid event, but unfortunately with Omicron, um, it ended up being all virtual, but they did, and I've been to a few conferences over the last couple of years, and I really have to say they did a good job, a really good job of making it really interactive, great um, sort of conversations via the chat function during, you're relevant to the um, topic, but a, a good way of, you know, rekindling relationships and encouraging conversations around um, key topics. Um, and that added another dimension and kept it engaging where sometimes online conferences can be hard to sit through a whole day on Zoom. As yeah, I, I thought the engagement levels were actually really strong at that conference. There were so many people commenting and getting involved and just doing the best they can. But um, yeah, if I could just hop in, like as Carolyn was saying, it was just such an inspiring event to be a part of. And, you know, these, these are the people really. Um, I guess they have marketing for good at the core of what they're doing. Like, so it's, it's yeah, very inspiring to sort of see the campaigns that are actually going towards making people's lives better. And um, just that practice of social marketing, you know, as Carolyn said, it's, it's a bit of a different beast to other forms of marketing. Um, there's often a lot of academics involved in it. So just kind of getting to grips with the kind of approaches, frameworks, um, and methodologies they use to inform their work. I think there's a lot you can take from that and apply to other sectors, not necessarily just behaviour change. Like, but um, yeah, really exciting to talk about some of the campaigns we saw and the great work. So um, that's a really good segue, Sarah. What, what are some of the campaigns that really stick out in, or some of the case studies or presentations that really sort of stick out in your mind as you know, when you look back, the ones that really resonated or um, challenged or interested you? Well, look, I think the whole conference kind of kicked off with, I think it was Professor Rebecca Russell Bennett from QUT who was talking to us um, about current approaches in social marketing and the need for a bit of a change there. So she talked about, if you remember, Carolyn, um, how a lot of these campaigns take a very deficit-based approach which kind of almost sees the groups they're targeting as 
um, kind of quite powerless, I guess. Um, and also, I, I think it's that idea that humans will, will probably just naturally tend to default to that negative perspective of things and how it's not necessarily the way it has to be. So she was talking very much about how you can kind of reframe language to then reframe the narrative and reframe the solution. So that's about how you, how you use language within campaigns, but also how you can um, work with at need audiences to help you to inform the solution and empower them to feel that they're a part of their solution. Because often with these more traditional deficit-based approaches, people feel very disempowered and they feel that maybe the solution for them is unattainable. So um, it was a very, um, yeah, it was a very inspiring and positive sort of perspective to take. So. I think, I don't know if you remember Carolyn, but she was talking how kind of move away from calling them vulnerable groups. They would be high priority groups, for instance. Um, mm -hmm. And domestic violence, we wouldn't refer to domestic violence as the headline. It would be talking about promoting respectful relationships. And it's really, it's, a really, it's really interesting. So I think, um, you know, this idea of strength-based language, it's, it's actually really important. And when, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, she really um, got us thinking about the types of language many of us are using. You know, that was a good example, you know, not rather than vulnerable people or people who've experienced domestic violence as people, you know, wanting to um, develop respectful relationships. Um, I think it's much more empowering and inclusive. It's actually really hard to do. <laughs> And there were lots of examples during, I mean, I don't know, I hopefully I wasn't one of them, but there were, I probably was, there were lots of examples where you just, people just had automatically fallen back on those sort of traditional, more deficit-based um, references and, and, and um, terminology. And so it takes a, re a real rethinking, but um, I think it's, it's, if I think about myself, I don't want to be known for the things that I'm not great at. I, I want, you know, I have to live with them, but I, I'd like to be known for the things I feel, feel I'm better at or are my strengths. And, mm. and if we're seeing people as a, as a whole, you know, that's more engaging and probably going to be more effective. I think so. I, I liked how she compared it to um, like the language that large corporates would use and that you wouldn't see them, you know, if, if they wouldn't call it a, declining sales strategy you know it would be a sales success strategy you know it, it's just something that very naturally wouldn't talk about the issue at hand mm. if it was something that was negative you'd be looking for the positive of that situation or what you were striving to achieve so that mm. also makes a lot of sense why 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 do we default to that negative in that situation yeah and what else what other um presentations or um speakers caught your attention? Oh, there were so many. There was such a range of different presentations as well. And the topics that were covered were just, um, it was a lot to take in, I think, in two days. You know, they were talking about promoting community gardens and also about condom use in the over 50s market. So it was kind of, there was a real range happening there. But um, Actually, that was, a, that was an interesting um, presentation. 
that uh, the use of condoms in over 50s now that you mention it um they what they were the challenge that they were trying to overcome was that over 50s um had grown up or they'd had their early kind of their teen and early 20s years um condom use had only been thought of as a um contraceptive not a, not in terms of um sexually transmitted diseases because they they had those younger years before the advent of hiv and aids so um they were they, these were people i suppose who'd perhaps been in a long-term relationship and maybe separated in their um sort of 50s or 60s and were back out in the single scene and um really needed educating about um safe sex um and they'd kind of missed that whole train of safe sex um education in their younger years because they were before i suppose the big need <laughs> so it was quite an interesting campaign it was um i thought what was really interesting about that was the stats that were pulled out about how this group of over 50s have some of the highest rates of stis which completely goes against perceptions you might have and it shows the importance of really delving into those figures and looking at those insights because I think a lot of that group would probably feel immune to those kind of concerns it wouldn't be something they'd be mindful of there was a real need for that um education but yeah no that was that was a really I think you're right I think <laughs> one of the strengths that I think the frame the social marketing frameworks have is that there's, it's, there's always a big emphasis on initial founding research, insight, insights-based solutions and co-design. They're always important parts of, a, um, before you really get into the generating what might be the creative executions, um, it's, it's always insights-based. And that's one thing I really love about this discipline. And yeah, tell, me about, tell me about the other, I, I know we were talking before and you were mentioning the campaign about organ, um, donation and I hadn't seen that so tell me about that one. Oh look that was a really interesting one and I think that was one of the few international campaigns that were presented but this was um, a campaign that came from Japan and it was addressing the issue of um, organ donation and the fact that I think there's only one percent of people are registered organ donors compared to I think about 20% in Australia. So it's a real issue over there. And I think the issue is that people are willing to donate, but they just haven't sort of been triggered. They can't sort of make up their mind in terms of what they want to do. And what was really interesting was the approach they took. It was quite innovative and they were kind of targeting this younger group, which was the sort of group that were really kind of um, not, not, um, not taking action. And they actually held a music festival, which was kind of crazy. So they got this huge um, cross-section of, um, you know, uh, Japanese people um, to come and watch these fantastic people singing. But also they had lots of talks from, um, I think, people who were kind of on the sort of organ donor waiting list as well to kind of hear about that and just get those conversations started. You know, you were in a big group it's about word of mouth it's about conversing and it's about just kind of triggering um the conversations i i think it was it sounded like a fantastic initiative 
the way they tracked it was that they um i think they gave people like a flyer which had a link to fill out a survey which had very very low response so i think there were a lot of learnings for them in terms of how they could have got a stronger response rate but from the people who did respond they could see that those people um, were much more likely than previously to now raise that conversation with their families, have the discussion. And it was all about that trigger point, you know, having that discussion, taking that first step. And um, yeah, it was it was a super interesting approach. You don't think of social marketing and, and music festivals, but- um, Classic behavior change, isn't it really? Getting someone to take the step and have the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just that kind of tipping point, you know, people weren't averse to it. It was just something that they had and maybe there was a bit of a sort of discomfort Mm. having that conversation yeah yeah uh that brings to mind you know talking about younger people that brings to mind uh phil sharing from the new zealand covid um task force presented this um the um the keynote keynote on day two and look at you know that must have been so hard to be responding so quickly with public health messages around COVID and this, as we all know, the situation kept changing and continues to, um, but it was really interesting to look at um, their, um, their work and their, um, their thinking, their research, and then their um, activations. Um, they had a really consistent look um, across a lot of their comms. Um, I haven't been to New Zealand since COVID started, so I don't know what it looked like, but the, certainly the screen grabs looked terrific. And I think one of the things that stuck out to me was that they did have a different approach for young people. Um, and they knew that they, they had this sort of mainstream approach, but then they went for these, uh, I suppose, more um, specific target groups that they knew maybe they needed to communicate in a different way or that had a lower uptake um, of key behaviours or vaccination or whatever it was. And so they went, um, yeah, and particularly the, it was a real grungy sort of look for um, the activations for younger people, which was very different to the mainstream. And yet they managed to sort of thread visually, they threaded some themes in so that everything was linked. But yeah, it was great, great to see that. Yeah, I, I thought that was a really, really strong approach. Um, couple of things that stood out from me were, and this goes back to that kind of deficit-based approach, but they talked about how they focused more on the positive steps that people could take, as opposed to the things that they weren't able to do, which kind of helped to get that message across and to just stop people from just shutting down or closing off what they were hearing. Yeah. Um, the other thing I really liked about that campaign was how they targeted certain groups by using trusted voices within certain communities yes. to kind of deliver yeah. the message. And as Carolyn said, they have that consistency throughout the campaign. So I think um, ch the Chinese communities, for instance, I think they had some kind of very popular um, members of the Chinese community who were kind of giving those messages. They had um, sort of um, imagery and video and, and their voices as well. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was great. And just the small things as well, like they talked about how they used yellow because it was it was serious enough, the type of messaging that they were putting out, but it was also kind of calming for people. And I think, and also just having the same voice, the, the, new, the COVID lady, I think they called her, 
having her running through the campaign that she was almost like this kind of mother figure sort of standing beside them as they went. I thought those were kind of all things that I think will kind of make, you know, a great campaign approach, especially mm. such a long-term campaign as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And the other one back in my mind was um, Emily Dunstan talking about sustainability, some of the work from Sustainability Victoria, because I think you yes. probably know that, the environment's a key passion of mine and some of the work they were doing was just terrific around reducing waste so they've got a long-term commitment to love food hate waste which is a program that doesn't only run in victoria but they'd done their research and they um so that informed some of their messages um particularly around um, not necessarily around food waste some messages were around food waste but some were around saving money or making a list um, using what you've got so you know stressing various different benefits and um, making sure that their activations and, and executions were still relevant even in a time of COVID. So they did adapt. Yeah, it was, um, yes, yeah, so topical at the moment, food wastage, and it was a great approach. Um, I really like the idea that a lot of their audience, they found that they, they didn't consider themselves to waste food, even though they were doing it. So. It was actually important for them not to talk, not to tell people that they were wasting food. It was more about the benefits that you get that come from making lists. It was this whole idea of you know sort of getting people behind this movement to start making lists and more meal planning without again, you know, going back to the the problem situation. But um, yeah, I, th I thought the the actual um, creative work they did was really good as well. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. Joe, I know you're a list maker. I am very much a list maker and a meal planner. And I and actually I think I get I was just thinking I think I get the uh, emails from the the uh, love food hate waste um, guys. So um, I've probably seen some of that campaign. You're one of the converted. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think they may have been um, or speaking to the converted already with that one, but yes. <laughs> It was good for me because, yeah, I'm going to admit it, you know, I'm often not the best, but I found as I was watching these um, presentations, I was actually kind of taking some of the behaviours up. So kind of watched that um, that Victoria presentation. I kind of went and got this cauliflower from the back of the fridge and roasted it. I was like, this is good. It's working. <laughs> One person at a time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and of course we presented as well. Um, so I presented our work, as I mentioned earlier, with about around dry mouth. Um, I thought it might be good for anyone that's watching this to see some of the slides. Obviously, if you're listening, you can't see. But Nicola, can you um, put up maybe just the methodology slide, which is um, slide ten, um, and just I just quickly run through. So. Um, the presentation went through the reason why dry mouth is such a problem for people. There's something like 20% of um, people in Australia um, experience dry mouth. Um, and so I was just talking about why that was a, um, you know, why it's an important thing to um, devote our resources to and what the, uh, some of the other supporting research. And this was running through, this is a very standard sort of, um, social marketing methodology. So you do your initial planning. We set up an advisory group, which was really helpful. So they were people from universities, um, 
experts working in the field. We had a um, consumer rep, so someone with lived experience. And then we um, had um, various different partners. So part of the, uh, the idea of the advisory group was to get that expert input and also to talk about how to take it the next stage you know, when the project was finished. So we had uh, someone from the PSA, the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia, someone from the ADA, the Australian Dent Dentists Association, um, and representatives also from the Oral Health Hygienists um, Association. Um, then we had the co-design stage. So we are really committed to co-design as a business, as you all know. Um, and that's really about hearing from the voice of the consumer and understanding what their challenges are and it was so interesting that stage. Um, we did a workshop um, and we showed people a picture. It's pretty disgusting of a cracked tongue, which you'll see in a minute if you're looking at this on um, a visual medium. And it is pretty disgusting, but the participants said that is exactly what it feels like. Um, and people talked about um, not being able to sleep at night, um, having you know, sensitivities in their mouth. They, they didn't want to speak because their mouth was so dry and they thought it was their own fault. That was one of the big insights from that um, co-design stage is that people thought it was their own fault often. Um, they didn't realize that there's a role from medication. There's all sorts of contributing factors, can be medication, can be disease related, can be to do with um, the use of drug and alcohol um, there's a whole, there's a whole, if you're on um, chemotherapy or radiation therapy, it's a common side effect, um, so things like antihistamines. Um, so there's a lot of um, reasons why it's not your fault if you experience it, but people sort of thought, oh, well, I haven't drank enough water. And they didn't think, it, often it was something that bothered them, but they might've had so many other medical things going on that they are so busy, you know, maybe if you're going through a cancer journey, there's so many other things above, you know, your consideration of oh, my mouth is really uncomfortable that you either ignore it or you don't think it's important enough to raise with your doctors. So it was a really interesting stage to go through to understand that about consumers and also that they really wanted to talk to someone. They didn't want to be sent something in the mail. They wanted the ability to talk to a community pharmacist or um, their dentist and so on. So then the process was developing resources based on those insights, setting up the project, testing it. We tested it in 10 pharmacies across Metro and regional New South Wales and Victoria, and then evaluating. And this was very much a pilot. It wasn't um, a big study. It was really a proof of concept and, and pilot stage and all up each pharmacist spoke to between three and 50 people. So we got, we had about um, insights from about 250 consumers in all. Um, so Nicola, if you can flick forward to slide 13. Um, one more. This is what we went in, oh, back one. <laughs> back one. Back. <laughs> So yeah, this one. So this was what we went into um, the co-design stage with, um, and we were really after feedback and insights and input from participants in terms of what, how well the visuals worked, what was the right messaging, what was the right language and tone, um, and and that that had come from a lot of planning and reviewing research and input from the advisory group. And if you just flick through to 16 now, which is three more slides. 
um, you can see, oh, I'm just going to share the final. Um, so this was what the final one looked like. Um, so it's a um, sort of a Maori looking woman, I suppose, with this sort of pretty disgusting tongue hanging out of her mouth. And then there's this, um, I suppose, call to action, experiencing dry mouth, don't suffer in silence. Um, and then life can be better without dry mouth and um, giving people some suggestions of what they could do to um, address it, explaining why it's so important for their oral health and then telling them where to go for more information. And this was produced as a flyer to hand out and also a sticker um, for their prescriptions. And the idea was that it um, encouraged conversations. And then there was a um, version with more information for pharmacists. Um, but I feel like I've talked a lot. Um, maybe, and have you got it before we wrap up, Sarah, is there anything else that you thought we should talk about? <laughs> no, I just, I just thought that campaign was so fantastic, Carolyn, and you presented it so well, but um, you know, I think the end creative that came out of that really sort of highlighted the very visceral kind of aspect of that condition and how people don't sort of rationally really understand what it is. They're just kind of living with it. They're seeing that big tongue you can immediately sort of identify with the problem at hand. So um, I was so happy to join the conference. I was so happy that we were a part of that as well and so proud, obviously, fantastic work um, that other people can, can sort of learn from as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I hope to attend a lot more of these kind of conferences and hopefully come back and present more case studies ourselves as well. Yeah, I thought that was one of the really exciting things towards the end. There was a sort of a final discussion, panel discussion, and I think the fact that everyone was reconnecting, it was like everyone was sort of slowly putting their heads out and going, yeah, we need to get together here. And so the the AASM, which is the Australian Association of Social Marketing, um, they're now looking at running some face-to-face -face events in Sydney and um, Queensland and Melbourne. Um, I'm not sure about WA, but um, I think it'd be so nice to actually go along and see some of our peers and colleagues and um yeah get together in person and really see what conversations can spark yeah it's a very different experience the face-to-face -face event but um mm -hmm. tentatively get back into that yeah so nicola as our master of ceremonies is there anything else you think we should cover before we wind up no, I think that was lovely. Thank you so much. I feel like I learned so much and I didn't even go. So I'd love to go to the next one if there is an opportunity to. Sounds like a great experience. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the second episode of the Marketing for Good podcast. At Juntos Marketing, it's simple. We market for good. Whether it be research to boost your return on investment, an award-winning strategy, or a campaign to re-engage your audience. Social marketing practices are embedded in everything that we do. Are you interested in learning how social marketing can be integrated strategically into your business practices and future campaigns? Research, or a brand, campaign, or content refresh could be your answer. Let's chat. We would be happy to help you and your organization grow your purpose and start your journey towards marketing
for, as we say, marketing for good.